Good morning, everybody. We are actually in the last week of our series, uh, God Has a Name, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have bringing it to you. And I also hope that you feel that you know a little more of the character of the incredible God that we worship, not only because he tells us who he is in these foundational verses that we've studied in Exodus 34, but but through the way he revealed himself to his people in story after story in the Bible and through story after story that is still being experienced and told by the people of God, by you and me, God's miraculous, faithful presence with his people did not cease around AD 60 when the last of the biblical documents were written. He is alive and moving now in Frankston, Seaford, Caram Downs and any other place that you find yourself in. And that is such good news to remember. When our future is uncertain, and all of us are in that position, we have faith in a certain God. Our future is unknown, but our God is totally known by us and he is good and he is faithful and he is for us. So before we look for the last time at this great uh, piece of scripture in, in Exodus, let's remind ourselves again of the story that led up to these precious verses. In the early history of man has him worshipping the gods that they imagined control the world, gods who were cruel and vindictive and manipulative. Mankind lived in constant fear of the gods and went to extraordinary lengths to appease them, often with human sacrifice. But the God of the universe, the real God, had a plan, a plan to reveal himself to a special people that they might reflect his character to the entire world. So God reveals himself to Abraham. Now, I wonder if you remember when Bethany spoke a couple of weeks ago about this amazing story, this amazing covenant that God made with Abraham. In those days, it was, you know, you would take a cow and you would sacrifice it and you would cut up the, the animal and you would place it on the ground and the two partners in the agreement or the covenant would walk between those animals as if to say, let, let this be done to me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. But the amazing thing about this story with Abraham is that God himself went through those animals. It was like a one-sided covenant. He said, I will be faithful. I know that you will muck up. I know that you can't do what you want to promise that you will do. But regardless, I am your God and I will never, ever leave you. God would be faithful to his people, even if they were not faithful to him. He would never leave them and or forsake them. I could imagine an example of wedding vows where instead of the couple saying the same vows to each other that I will obey, yes, I will obey and I will promise to be faithful, yes, and I will promise to be faithful. Can you imagine if the vows were one-sided? If, if one of them said, even if you even if you are not faithful to me, even if you walk away from me, even if you take other lovers, 
I will never ever stop pursuing you and loving you. That's the sort of covenant that God made with his people. Well, his people who were the Hebrew people end up in slavery in Egypt and they're there for 400 years and God rescues them through a series of miraculous events. We read about it in uh, the book of Exodus with the parting of the Red Sea and, and God providing a miraculous food for them even though they're in the desert. But out in the wilderness, on their way to the new land that God had promised to give them, while Moses is at the top of Mount Sinai hearing from God, they fall into the greatest sin. They make an idol and they worship it. They turn their backs on the true God who had just rescued them in a miraculous way. And Moses is angry and God is angry. And yet even then, God responds to his people with love and grace. And Moses pleads with him, don't leave us, God. We are nothing without your presence. And God says, I won't leave. It's not in my nature. Let me show you who I really am. I give you my name. I give you my nature. And then we arrive at these verses we've been studying in Exodus 34. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood with him there and proclaimed his name, Yahweh. Yahweh passed in front of him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity rebellion and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. We've been studying this line by line. It is so important to get to know God truly. God makes a big deal of his name, Yahweh, repeating it. And we pose the intriguing idea that there are many spiritual powers in this universe that also have names and characters. And Yahweh wanted his people to know who it is that they should worship. In ancient days, it was the gods of fire and rain and storm and sea. But today, those same gods tempt us to worship money and fame and influence and sex and fashion and real estate and comfort. Evil is real and it presents itself to us today in the form of FOMO, our fear of missing out. And this, I believe, is one of the greatest evils and the greatest enemy that fights against people of God. And then we, we unpacked Yahweh's character, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, faithful, maintaining love to 
thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. But he won't just let the guilty go unpunished. He is serious about sin because he sees the consequences. He sees a wrecking ball smashing down through the generations. He is loving and faithful, so he will deal with sin in our lives. We might not take sin seriously, but God does. To the point of death, literally. Hundreds of years after Moses lived, God came in human form as Jesus and allowed himself to be nailed to a cross to deal with my sin and with your sin. That's how serious it is. Sin is dehumanizing. When we sin, we become less than the human that God made us to be. We miss the mark, as Rick said last week, the good plan that God has for our lives. How does this punishment for sin work out in our lives? Do we think that maybe we cheat on our tax returns so God causes a car to run into us while we sit at the lights? I don't think that's how it works. God is our loving Father. And because he loves us, I think he refuses to remove the natural consequences of our sin. In other words, he, he allows us to, to suffer because of what we've done and for a good reason. Those of you who are parents, we love our kids, so we do some paradoxical things. We let kids suffer. Talk back to your teacher, you get detention. And yep, you will miss the bus and yep, you will walk home and I will not pick you up. Natural consequences of sin. That's what loving parents do. What about something like pornography? What are the consequences of that? Well, psychologists are increasingly telling us that it can actually warp our mind and it can lead to an inability to see women and men as anything other than objects for our lust. It causes a breach of intimacy with our spouse and, in the long run, an erosion of sexual pleasure. Porn does not lead to great sex. It actually does the opposite. And that is not what God wants for us. What about the punishment for lying and cheating? Well, the punishment is that eventually we get caught and the house of cards that is our life can come apart in seconds. What about gossip? The punishment for gossip is that eventually people will stop trusting you. They will say, if you're saying that about that person, well, what are you saying about me behind my back? And you are left not only spiteful and angry, but often alone. And if we don't learn our lesson from natural consequences, if we keep on sinning over and over in spite of God's mercy, eventually we risk the hand of God against us. And you don't want God as your enemy. Does that sound like the loving, compassionate God? 
Actually, I think it does because I would want my God, the God of love, to deal with the trafficker of children. I would want him to deal with a serial pedophile. I would beg him to deal with a rapist. A loving parent will deal with bad behaviour, not out of anger at their rules being broken, but out of a deep desire for their children to flourish. And we learned that from Yahweh. Now let me pull all this together by talking about the jealousy of God. Now this is another part of his nature. A little bit later in uh, the same chapter, Chapter Exodus 34, God says, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, I'm not talking about the jealousy of a selfish boyfriend checking his girlfriend's phone when she's out of the room. It's more like the jealousy of a mother fighting to keep her teenage son away from the local drug dealer. Is she jealous for her son? Yep, you bet she is. God is jealous for his name. He wants people to know the truth of who he really is. And here's the hard part. We are responsible for the opinion that, God, that people have of God. As God's people, we are called by his name. And with this incredible family connection we have with Yahweh comes a staggering responsibility to mirror and mimic what God is like to the world. Remember I said before that God originally chose a small tribe of Hebrew people to be his mirror into the world? Well, that responsibility is now given to the church. Not one tribe but a people of every tribe, every race, every colour from across the world. Everyone who calls Jesus Lord is one of his special ambassadors. You and me, if you call Jesus Lord of your life. What Yahweh wants is a living, breathing people to put his name on display, to show the world what he is like, not only by what we say, but by how we live. Let me read some final words by John Mark Comer. Don't be afraid to climb the mountain and meet with God. Step into the smoke and fire. Devote your life to the pursuit of this terrifyingly good God. If you fall along the way, scrape up your knees, lose ground, that's okay. Give it another go. And remember, everywhere you set your foot, you carry the name. You're not just a barista. You're a living, breathing example of what Yahweh is like. You're not just a software engineer or an electrician. You're a temple on legs, a house of God. You're not just a uni student or teacher or a full-time parent. You're an intermediary between heaven and earth. So as you go about your life, remember this. You're not just walking down to the supermarket to pick up dinner. You're carrying the name.
You're not just dropping by the office for a meeting. You're carrying the name. You're not just heading to the beach to surf. You're carrying the name. Everywhere you go, in all that you do, you are called by the name of Yahweh. And it is a really, really good name. Well, I thought to finish this series, we could have a come to the altar moment when we ask God for our needs to be met. We, we might need his compassion, his faithfulness, his mercy. But I feel that this moment is more about who God is calling us to be for the broken world that we live in. He showed us who he is so we could be like him. So this time is about hearing the voice of God calling us up to a higher calling. And I'm speaking to those who've made the firm decision to hand their lives to Jesus. What I want to do is read a meditation. It's going to be on the screen and maybe wherever you are listening to this, you could read it with me. Perhaps we could make this our prayer today. Perhaps it can be a recommitment of our lives to the God who loves us so much. Let's do this together. Because we are made in the image of God and carry his name, we will seek to grow into his likeness more each day. We will respond with compassion before judgment. We will give grace and forgiveness to others as Christ has forgiven us. We will be slow to become angry whilst fighting for justice for the downtrodden. We will be loving and faithful in all our relationships. We will take God's plan for us seriously, recognizing that when we go our own way, we hurt ourselves and others, even those who follow after us. We will give him first place in our lives. We will bring honor to his name by walking in grace and love. Yahweh, our God, we worship you. Amen.